our children's church can be dismissed. Dave, thank you very much for sharing for that. Just a reminder of there was a debt there was a debt that was owed, and Jesus paid a debt that wasn't his, uh, but he paid our debt, and uh, he paid the ransom for us. Um, I did know what day it is. I'm um, pretty sure it's the day that Buffalo plays Green Bay, um, <laughs> and so looking forward to that. I think also it's Kirby's birthday. I think I knew that. It is today, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so, so thank you though for your thank you for your gifts and mostly for your prayers. That's uh, that's what we need. Um, the day in which we live, there is such a, I think, such an attack by the world, the flesh, the devil, on on the church, on on God's people, and and um, there, there's almost no other way to describe the evil that is uh, in the world, and and the devil would like nothing more than to see a a church wander off the path and 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 not be true to God's word, and and uh, so. Please, uh, please do keep praying. Pray for our church. Pray for our leaders. Pray for my wife and I. Um, it is, uh, it is a privilege to be able to, uh, to, to pastor the church, and it's also a privilege to be able to say that what this church stood for, years and years and years and years and years and years and years ago, it still stands for exactly the same thing. It hasn't changed. It hasn't wavered, and. Uh, and so that, uh, that is a credit, not just to the, not just to the pastors, but that's a, that's a credit to the, the, the male leadership and the deacons and the elders and the people that, you know, fight for the truth and, and stand up for the truth. And so we're uh, extremely thankful for that. So thank you again for your, your, your gifts. Thank you for your prayers. And um, I, I believe in this time in which we live, it is, it is very, very necessary that we pray for one another. Actually, part of the theme of this, this morning when Jesus talks and prays for the believers is that he prays that they might have unity, that they may have a oneness about them. And uh, we'll, we'll share that in just a little bit. But we're in, in John chapter 17 right now. If you would join me there, John 17. <clears throat> we're in the last week, last days, of Jesus's earthly ministry. The Pharisees want nothing, nothing more than to see Jesus dead. That is, the, that is the agenda. That is the plan. That's, everything is in the works, so to speak, as, they, as they've already conspired with Nicodemus. They have a plot to, uh, to take Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that is exactly where he's headed. So it's a collision course now between uh, where Jesus and his disciples are headed and where the Sanhedrin and their soldiers and guards are headed as well. Jesus tells his disciples, I am leaving, but I will be back. Uh, I, I need you to be faithful. I need you to watch. I need you to be ready. I need you to be wise. I need you to occupy till I come. And then it's interesting here, and I, and I, I want to kind of emphasize this again, as Jesus talks with his disciples and prays for them. He says, stop letting your hearts be troubled. What's, what's about to happen in the next few days is going to be extremely disturbing. It is going to shake you to the core. And he says, I, I need you to believe me. I need you to believe that I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I am coming back, and you will be with me forever. In the meantime, my Father is going to send you another comforter like unto myself. And I want you to know that the devil is not winning. And again, I think that's a message that you and I need to hear all the time as well. The devil is not winning, even if they elect Whitmer again. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I, I, uh, I'll leave that. Delete that from the, uh, the record. I, I don't know where that came from. I don't, uh, but the devil isn't winning. Expect, though, you're going to have hatred. Expect ex- to be excommunicated. Expect, expect death. I'm going to be gone for a little while, and it's going to be very hurtful. It's going to be very painful when this happens, but it's just going to be a little while. I'll be back in a little while, and there'll be great joy. He said, I want you to have peace. I have overcome the world. Now, this is kind of interesting to me again. Again, remember, what Jesus is praying for is for the hearts and the minds and the souls of his disciples to be at peace through all the stuff that's about to happen. Let not stop letting your hearts worry or be troubled about this. When Jesus gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, guess who he prays for? Himself. Because he says, I'm praying for my disciples to have peace through all of this. That God would calm their hearts and their soul and their spirit. And when Jesus gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he is, his soul is troubled. He is in uh, severe anguish. And he ends up praying for it. It's like, Lord, I need you to calm them down and, and be with them. Now I need you to be with me. Now I need your help. <clears throat> don't be troubled, telling his disciples. Don't waver. Don't give up. And he prays for them and with them. He prays about his disciples and says, the time has come to finish the work. The time has come to restore things like they were. I get to go back to my father and to restore things as they were. And as Jesus talks to his father, he says, these men, referring to the 11 disciples, these men have believed my words. These men will bring glory to God, and they have done so. And these men have the right opinion of me. These men need to stay faithful. Lord, don't let them faint. Don't let them quit. Then I want you to look at verse number 12, because it kind of going to build on what we're going to look at in just a minute. 1712 says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's not the verse that I wanted to do. Oh, verse 11. It's right next to the number 12. That's why I said. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and through my own name... Those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. He prays that the disciples may be in unity and oneness in the same way that God the Father and God the Son are. May they be on the same page. Jesus is on the same page with God the Father. And he says, may these be in unity with one another in the same manner. These men, he says, need to experience joy. A joy of service. These men need to be protected from the world and the devil. 
because the message they're going to preach is the same message. The philosophy will be different from the world. Uh, the devil doesn't want these men to succeed. Father, don't take them out of the world. They have a job to do, but keep them from the world. They need to be in the world, but not of the world. We use the examples of Joseph and Daniel, who so, uh, who so uh, wonderfully gave us uh, these examples of Joseph in Egypt and, and Daniel in Babylon, years and years and years and years of faithfulness, despite being smack dab in the middle of Babylon and Egypt, two places that are depicted throughout Scripture as the world in a place of darkness. Keep them from the evil one. There's a different agenda, there's different goals, there's a different purpose, there's a different outlook. There is no concord between Christ and the devil. Use the truth to set them apart. And Father, you sent me, now I'm sending them. Let's start verse number 20. As Jesus prays for us, he prays for future believers. Neither pray I for these alone. I'm not just praying for them, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And again, it immediately implies success, that someone is going to believe them. When the disciples go out sharing the truth of God's word, somebody is going to believe them. And he says, I pray for those who will believe me because of the word of the disciples, those which shall believe through the disciples' witness. And it talks about there will be converts. And we, we kind of toyed with this a little bit at the end of our, our last lesson. Did the disciples do a good job? Did they do a good job? Well, they covered the known world of their day, the Mediterranean and beyond. And uh, we should have a map up there somewhere. You know what? I fear that you have the wrong one, Benjamin. I, I fear you have last week's, not this week's. Could you look and see if... Um, because I titled it, That They May Know was last week, That They May Believe is this week, and so I can understand that. Can you look back and see if believe is what I need? Okay, all right. Because I, didn't, I cut those verses out of the other one, <laughs> so I think. Anyways, the known world uh, of the Mediterranean, uh, they went all through this. And, and kind of, I read some things this past week that said there's, there's a legend, not necessarily fact or truth, but a historical legend that the disciples literally, when Jesus said to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, that they literally drew lots and which part of the world are we going to go to? Uh, literally divided up the world amongst themselves and then went out as opposed to just going out randomly. They actually had target areas that they were responsible for. And all of them, of course, suffered greatly and many of them, if not all, had violent deaths. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down by Nero in Rome in about 66 AD. Paul was beheaded by Nero. Uh, Paul is believed to have gone, traveled all the way through. Uh, we talk about Paul's journeys in the book of Acts. Uh, it is believed that he was imprisoned in Rome and then released and then went all the way to Spain uh, with the message of God's word and then back to Rome before he was beheaded. Andrew went to, interestingly enough, it was called the Land of the Man-Eaters. <laughs> the Land of the Man-Eaters. 
but it was uh, way up north to Russia, the Soviet Union region. And maybe it's the weather that eats the people, I don't know. Um, but he went to the Soviet Union, to Turkey and Greece, and Andrew was crucified on a, uh, on a cross that looks like this. Instead of this, it looks like this. And so it's an X, and it's still called St. Andrew's Cross today. Thomas went east of Syria, went into India, into Iraq. Uh, he was run through uh, with spears, four different soldiers at the same time ran him through with spears. Philip went to North Africa. Uh, Philip's story is kind of interesting. He led a Roman proconsul, one of the Roman, or Roman governor. He led a Roman governor's wife to the Lord. And the Roman governor repaid him uh, by executing him. Um, and so it's like, hmm. You would think your, there would be an improvement in his wife's overall behavior. And it, but but uh, the Roman proconsul's wife became a believer and he then was executed. Matthew went to Persia, to Ethiopia. Well, of course, Persia now is Iran, uh, and he's believed to have been stabbed to death and martyred that way. Bartholomew went to India, Armenia, Ethiopia, Arabia. Bartholomew may have been the one who traveled more than any of the others. Uh, and there are many, many different accounts as to how he died. Uh, but India, Armenia, Ethiopia, Arabia, James, James the Less, the, uh, James the brother of John, was killed almost immediately by Herod. Um, and... Um, James the Less uh, went all the way to Syria. He was stoned to death and then clubbed, like after he was already dead. Um, Simon the Zealot went to Persia and to Spain. Uh, he refused a sacrifice to the sun god, and they sawed him in half. Matthias, uh, who was the replacement for Judas, went to Syria and the uh, Caspian Sea, and he was burned to death. John, who is the uh, writer of the book that we're reading, John lived to the, uh, into his 90s, but he was cast into boiling oil, and the story has that he was unhurt, unharmed. Uh, he went to Asia, Ephesus, and to the Isle of Patmos, and to Turkey. Luke, the writer, the, the good doctor, the writer of the book of Acts and the book of Luke, uh, was hanged. Thaddeus went to Syria, Iraq, and Turkey and was shot through with arrows. Did they do a good job? <laughs> well, 2,000 years later, you and I heard the word of God. Jesus started with 11, if you please, and the word of God has lasted to our day. And people have said we're only one generation away from you know, um, from complete heathenism, but the fact of the matter is each generation shares the truth of God's word with the next, and it continues, and it continues, and it continues. Part of why I do what I do, I've shared with you before, there's two reasons why I do what I do. One is a selfish reason, because I was told when I was a young person in a church such as this, told over and over again, if you're not doing exactly what God wants you to do, you'll never be happy, you'll never be satisfied a day in your life unless you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. And so, I want to be happy, I want to be satisfied, I want to enjoy my life. And so, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the second one is part of, the, uh, part of a payback. Someone, someone shared the truth of God's word with me. 
I had a number of pastors that shared the truth of God's word, number of youth leaders, number of Sunday school teachers, numbers of uh, counselors at camps and things of that nature, people who took time out to share God's word with me. Um, this is a pay it back, if you please. Um, uh, someone shared it with me. I, I, I have to share it with somebody else. 2,000 years later, <laughs> you and I have heard. Well, there's some specific requests that Jesus makes for those who will one day believe. Verse number 21, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the, word, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Two requests. First request is that they may be one with each other. He said that they may be one as the Father uh, is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. And again, Jesus has said over and over again, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Uh, my words are my Father's words. Uh, we are one and the same. He's in me, I'm in him. Uh, the Father is in the Son. He says, I want you guys to be the same. And as he talks, and he's talking about us. He's not just talking about the disciples. He said, I want you disciples to be unified because that's the only way the word of God is going to be able to be spread throughout all the world. You need to work together. You need to be in unity about this. It needs to be not just unity uh, as far as getting along with each other. It needs to be the same message, the same truth, the same thing that is shared. It is interesting that when Paul comes along later, uh, Paul shares the message that he heard from Jesus himself in the Arabian desert and so forth, Paul gets the same message, and, and they're all on the same page. Uh, the first request is that they would be one with each other, that we would be one with each other, and then he says one with us, that it says that they may be one as my father and I are one, and that, the, uh, and that they also may be one in us, that we might be one in, we use the one in the spirit, or, but it's actually interesting, the spirit is the only one that's left out of this, that they may be one in God, they may be one in Jesus, they may, may be one with us. And again, it speaks of in the world, but not of the world, uh, that they may be one as we are one. The Father is in me, Jesus says, and Jesus is in the Father, that they may be able to experience the intimacy and the fellowship and that the believers may be in us. And again, there is a bond, and, we, and there is a common union between believers, and that common union is communion, okay? There is a common union. That's not a play on words. That is a fact, um, even though it fits nicely. Um, a, there is a common union that we have being in Christ uh, that the, and, and the point is that the world may believe. What, what is our common goal? What is our common purpose? What is it that unites us? That the world may believe. That, that's it. Why do I do what I do? Why, it should change what you say. It should change what you do. It should change your manner of life. And again, this is our testimony and so forth, but why do we do what we do? Why is there a cooperative spirit or should there be a cooperative spirit between God's people? So that the world might believe. So that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. That the world might believe the glorious message. It's mentioned in verse number 22. And the glory, and I think the word glory here has to do with the message of salvation. And the glory which thou gavest me, that message that you gave me, that glorious message you gave me, I have given them. 
that they may be one even as we are one, that the message might be the same. Unity of the church, unity of the message. Uh, Believers need to be as close to one another as Jesus is to God. What does a divided church tell the world? We live in a world where we believe there's one way to salvation through Jesus Christ. There is one message. And what Satan has done to the church in general, not necessarily, I'm using it term church very, very broadly, very, very, uh, very, very liberally, um, is the devil has used religion, and I believe it's his number one tool to confuse and corrupt people. Because the message is different. You go to this church and the message of what I need to do to be saved is different than this church, than this church, and this church. And this, this church will claim to be Christian. And, and it's under the heading, this overall heading, mushroom heading of Christianity. And this is what I need to do to be saved, and it's not the right thing, and it's not the truth. And the more confusing the devil can make it, the better. So he talks about there needs to be integrity of the message, that people need to be together, that the world may believe, that the world may know Verse 21 and 23, that the world may believe, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and thou hast loved them. The integrity of the message. Uh, there we are. Back up one. This is, the, this is the one that I put up first thing. Uh, and the devil is not anti-religion, but he's anti-Christ. He's divided so many religions and so many versions of Christianity to blind people to the truth of, of God's gospel. If there truly was, I don't know, let's, let's, let's just, we have in this room exit doors. There's, well, there's two fast exit doors, one slow exit door, one you'll never get out exit door. Um, if, you, if you try to get out the back, there's no chance. Um, if there was just, this is us in the world. And there's only one door to heaven. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If there was one door, and it was obvious that there was one door, it'd be easy to find it. But what the devil's done is the devil's put door, 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 door. There's a multitude of doors. There's hundreds of doors where people claim that, oh, come through this door and this will get you to heaven and this will be eternal life and this will be, you know, and so forth and so on. And the devil has confused people with these hundreds of doors. And some people think they're going through the right door and they think this is fine and this is right, but that door is not headed toward heaven. There's one, there's one, there's one. Paul tries to make this clear in Ephesians chapter four. Um, You might want to notice how many times the word one is used I therefore, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, lowliness and meekness with longsuffering, forbear one another in love. Do your best, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to get along with each other. You see that from these first three verses. He says, if it takes you to be lowly and meek, long-suffering, the word long-suffering, by the way, means to put up with its 
it's not, it's not just a patience, but it's a patience with people, okay? And it comes very close to this next word, forbearing, putting up with one another in love. There is one body, there is one spirit, even as you're called, there's one hope of your calling, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. I don't know, what do you think the point is? <laughs> one, one, one. And so when Jesus says, I want them to have unity, I want them to be one, this is the only way that the message is going to go out. This is the only way the message is going to be successful. This is the only way that the world might believe. I want the message to be unified, the same message, one with each other, one with us. The message needs to remain the same. Verse number 23, it says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, complete, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Now listen to this one. That the world may know that the Father sent me and that the Father has loved them as thou hast loved me. What a statement that they may be perfect and complete. And Jesus said, I want the world to know that God loves these believers as much as he loves me. Wow. God loves us as much as he loves his only begotten son. I don't know if we can fathom that. I don't know if we can get that, but Jesus said, this is what I want them to know. I want them to know that, that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. God, like when it says, for God so loved the world, he loves the world as much as he loves his son. And he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, that they may be with me where I am that the world may see the love God has for the believer and that they may be with me. Now, our earlier passage, when Jesus was specifically talking to the 11, he says, listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming again. I'm going to take you unto where I am that you may be with me forever. And now Jesus includes us in that. When he says, I want them, I want them to know, uh, Father, I will that... They also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. I want them to be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. I want them to see my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now let's put a couple things together here. Jesus says, I want them to know that God loves them as much as God loves me. And then the very next verse he says, God has loved me for a very, very long time. Since the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. So he says, I want these people to know this. Request number one is that they be one with each other. I, I, I pray that they may be one with us. 
that the message might be the same from start to finish, a one unity of message, that the world will see God and Jesus in them, that the world will see God's love for the believer, that these believers might be with me, that they might see my glory. And then it says, O righteous Father, the world hath not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I've declared unto them your name. I've told them. He, he says, it's just the progression here again is this. Jesus says, Father, I know you. I know how much you love these people. And I know this. And, and these disciples have known that thou hast sent me. And I've declared unto them your name, and I will continue to declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The world doesn't know God, but believers know God, and they know of God's love. And believers need to share God's love with a lost world. John 13 Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And then Jesus, and Paul goes on even further in 2 Corinthians to explain this love, what, what the love of Christ does. When the love of Christ is in us, what happens? For the love of Christ constrains us, that it, it, it pulls on us and tugs on us, grabs hold of us. Constrained literally would be to like grab somebody in force. I, I've shared with you before, the, I had a... Uh, a lady bus driver when I was in high school, <clears throat> and we would misbehave on the back of a public school bus, and uh, she would come, pull the bus off the side of the road, and she would come back the aisle, and she would <clears throat> constrain us to come to the front of the room, okay? <laughs> the front of the bus, okay? Uh, and that literally was physically laying hands on us to grab us by the shirt or coat or whatever, drag us to the front, plop us in the front seat, or open the doors and let us out. And said, you can ride tomorrow if you can behave. Okay? Oh, the good old days. Um, by the way, that bus went uphill to, uh, in the snow uh, the whole way, coming and going to school. All right? Um, <laughs> I lived in Pennsylvania. That's the truth. That's a, I'm not even making that up. For the love of Christ pulls us and makes us, forces us. We have no choice because we thus judge. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And that Jesus died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live to themselves. If, if he died for me and gave me eternal life, then I, my life is not my own. It belongs to him. And I, and I should live not for myself, but for him which died for me and rose again. I need to live for the one who died for me. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He, it is our job, it is our responsibility. He wants us uh, to share how to be reconciled with God. If you've been reconciled with God and things are right between you and your Savior, he wants you to tell other people about that as well. That's why we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. That's the message that an ambassador of God sends. For he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. This is, the, this is David's song. Who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that he might redeem us and buy us back. That's the message. Now, Jesus prays for the disciples for their hearts not to be troubled. He prays for future believers that they may be one and will be able to continue this, the unity and the truth, that the truth may stay the truth, that may be unified, and, and the goal is that the world may know, that the world may believe, the people may come to Christ. Chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had thus spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Brook Kedron, where there was a garden into the which he entered along with his disciples. I'd like you to turn to Matthew 26, please. Matthew 26. We're going to jump ship a little bit here. Matthew 26. In Matthew 26 and Mark 14, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they departed from the upper room. This is the last prayer. Jesus prays and they depart. And then it says, they came to the garden, Luke 22 says, as his custom was. This is something that he's done before. This is not the first time Jesus has ever come to the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Again, thus the spy, thus the Judas person who's going to, oh, when they leave the Passover room, where are they going to go? Judas knows that information because they've done it before. They've gone to this place before to have a time of prayer and so forth. And so... Next one. It says, one of the passages says, they sung a hymn and then they left for the Garden of Gethsemane as his custom was. This is where they went. Uh, Just to show you where Gethsemane is, um, they leave Jerusalem, most likely through the eastern gates, and they head east. And the way it looks is, is, I I can't do this. Well, I guess this would be right. Let's see. That's mostly north. Okay. (laughs) All right. Here's where they are in Jerusalem. They go down into what is called the Kidron Valley. There's a little river there. They go down the hill, and it is just a hill. It's not a mountain. It's just a hill that they go down the hill. At the bottom of the hill, there's a Kidron Valley. There's a brook, and that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Up the next hill is the Mount of Olives, okay? Uh, And so between, from the Mount of Olives, obviously, you can see straight across to Jerusalem. You can see the Eastern Gate. But it goes down and back up, just a little little dip, little valley there. And in this valley, in this place, is the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. So it's a garden of the olive press, and this place has, still does today, has olive trees all through it. It also has sidewalks and benches and things of that nature now. Uh, <laughs> but the Garden of Gethsemane is still there, interestingly enough. Uh, still located. Uh, it is also believed that the Garden of Gethsemane uh, possibly was owned by John Mark's family, which is kind of an interesting. John Mark would have been a very, very young man at this time. Uh, this is the, and just to refresh your memory, this is going to be the place where, oh, when Peter is when Peter is released uh, from from prison by the angel, he shows up at John Mark's mom's house. Rhoda answers the door, and she goes, "Oh, I, it's you know." Peter's at the door. No, it must be Peter's ghost. He's in prison, you know. Uh, It's John Mark's house. Uh, Also, the book of Mark tells the story of a young man who was at the Garden of Gethsemane, present, watching everything, 
and was scared by the soldier, and it says he fled naked to get away. Uh, most likely John Mark telling on himself uh, at this particular point. Uh, this would be about a half a mile from Jerusalem as they go down the hill. They're at the Garden of Gethsemane. Chapter 26 of Matthew, starting in verse number 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, sit you here while I go and pray yonder. That's kind of interesting. Uh, he has a Western flair to him. Um, yonder, there's some dogies over there on the... Um, sit here while I go pray yonder. Or maybe it's just Matthew has a Western flair to him. Okay. Um, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. He arrives in Gethsemane and he tells the bulk of the disciples, sit here and wait while I go to pray yonder. Peter, James, and John, I'd like you guys to come with me. Peter, James, and John were able to see some things that the other disciples did not see. They saw the raising of Jairus' daughter. They were in the house when Jesus says, yeah, she's, she's just sleeping. Young lady, arise. And they saw that. Peter, James, and John are also the only three that saw the transfiguration as Jesus was transfigured before them. And they bowed their faces to the ground. And, and, and Peter says, man, this is so awesome. I want to stay here forever. Let's, let's build some houses. Let's build some booths. Let's just, you know, Peter. And here these three are called, especially off to another distance to pray. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, I want you to pray that you enter not into temptation. And again, in the Greek, it's like you enter into temptation not even once. I want you to pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus has already told Peter, the man, that the devil wants to sift you like wheat. The devil's after you. And before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Pray that you enter not into temptation. But I want you to see what happens to Jesus. It, in verse 37, it's observable because it says, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And so it starts happening. It's something that's observable to them. And then finally he speaks and says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. I would like to know how many times in Jesus' ministry that you could physically see on him the weight of what was going on. How many times was he extremely sorrowful? It, it speaks of, uh, of Lazarus' death, and Jesus wept, and it says his heart was, uh, was, was burdened within him. But Jesus is upset, and, and again, if Jesus is upset, I think maybe you should be upset, okay? When the flight attendants get parachutes and jump from the plane, okay, 
I, I think it's time. <laughs> it's time to worry. And they see that he, he is visibly upset. Listen to these different ways that it's expressed. He's sorrowful. He's troubled in his soul. He's sorrowful. He's very heavy. He's exceedingly sorrowful. He's greatly amazed. He's sore troubled. And it even says to the point of death. This is pretty gloom and doom stuff. This is like, it is so overwhelming. The weight is so strong. The weight and the pressure is so great on Jesus at this particular point where it's possible that he would die from this stress. It, it died from this. He has just finished. Lord, help these guys to remain calm. <laughs> help them to be at peace. Let not their hearts be troubled. And now he is going through anguish of soul, anguish of spirit, observable to them. And then he actually mentions it to them as well. And it says again in Luke 22, he left the three of them there to pray and he went a stone's cast away. Mark says he fell on the ground. Matthew says he fell on his face. And again, in the passage we just read here in Matthew 39, it says he fell on his face. Uh, the, the verb in the Greek again is he repeatedly fell on his face. And then Luke says he knelt down. I am thinking that he is... You remember the story of uh, Hannah? When, when she went to the temple... And she's praying for a son. She's praying for a child, and Eli is observing her. And he's like, well, that woman is, you know, I think she's drunk. I, I think something's wrong with her. And he comes to her, and she says, oh, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm, I'm just praying earnestly. And he says, well, whatever you're praying for, God's going to answer your prayer. Because of her mannerism and her behavior was so animated in her prayer. And, and it seems to indicate that as Jesus prays, he falls down on his face and he, and, he, and he prays before God and then he gets up and he kneels and then he falls down and he prays and he kneels and he's on his face and he's kneeling and he's, he's like up and down and back and forth and in such turmoil inside as well as behavior outside. Restless, changing positions. Constantly, it says, repeatedly over and over, fell on his face. And the requests in Mark, parallel passage in Mark 14, if it's possible, may this hour pass away. Abba, Father, oh dear, dear Father, this is, this is terms that a child would use talking to his daddy. Please, daddy. I know all things are possible. Remove this cup. Matthew says in 39, it says, if it be possible... He fell on his face saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. May it pass away. Luke 22 says, if, if thou be willing, Lord, <coughs> excuse me, remove this cup. But do you see how each passage ends? Not what I will, but what thou wilt. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Not my will, but thine be done. Again, I put this for a couple of reasons. One is to show you again that these are synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in their content and context. And so you can see the similarity as they share these same passages. But Jesus prays for the oneness 
may my disciples <coughs> be one with each other in the same way that I am one with my Father. <coughs> Excuse me. May the new, new believers who believe because of the word of the disciples, may they be one. May they be one with each other and may they be in us as my Father is in me and I am in the Father. And to drive home the oneness, Jesus says, what I want is one thing. And again, if you can imagine, Jesus, what, what would Jesus know and understand? Would he understand the physical pain that's about to come? Yes. Would he understand his father turning his back and, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me during that three hours of darkness while on the cross? Would he completely understand everything that was yet future for him and waiting and anticipating? Yes. And he says, can't we do it some other way? And he even says, you're the God of the impossible. If it's, if it's possible, please. But notice the ending response every single time. Not what I want, but what you want. May I suggest to you, you can pray for anything you want. <clears throat> as long as you end it that way. Pray for anything you want. As long as you end it that way. What's next for Jesus, and we'll save it till next week, but what's next is he's not just of anguish of soul. His physical body begins to take a toll. And blood starts to come from the pores of his skin. This is no exaggeration to say that his soul is troubled in, and, and, and he understands everything that's about to happen. And says, my father loves you as much as he loves me. He says, I want people to know that. And Jesus loves his father so much that he's willing to die for us. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. It is impossible for us to completely understand everything that Jesus understood. It's impossible for us to understand the battles and the fights and the spiritual warfare that was going on as Jesus wrestled with the cup and whether he should, you know. But Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. That Jesus said, not my will, but thine. Thank you for his submission. The humility. The love he has for us. 
Help us to know and understand the love you have for us as well. Father, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, may they see God's love through the sacrifice of his son. May they see Jesus' love by his willingness to follow the will of his Father. Because they want us to be with them forever. We pray, Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that they would accept you today and get that matter taken care of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.